This is Scamp Life, the other side, a bi-weekly podcast for summer camp professionals with your hosts, Kelly and Shauna. Now it's time for another thought-provoking episode exploring the amazing world of summer camp. Okay, welcome back to Scamp Life, the other side. I'm Kelly Cook and with me always is Shauna. Today we have a really awesome episode. We've got Rael Pierboom Booms here, uh, the Frost Valley CEO, to talk about the rising cost of childcare. Hi, Rael. How are you? I'm, I'm great. Uh, thanks for having me on. This is pretty exciting. Awesome. So why don't you start off, just kind of give us a little bit of your background um, and a little bit about who you are. Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, you know, I, I'm a uh, I'm a product of camp in many ways, but I didn't get to camp until I was 21 or so. I'm I'm originally Dutch. I'm a Dutchman. Um, I um, I started camp with Camp America. You know, one year, many years ago, was placed in a camp in in upstate New York, actually not too far from Frost Valley, called Tradewinds Lake Camp, a small and independent camp. Um, and you know, life changing for me. Um, it really kind of changed my trajectory in life. I. I was already getting trained to, I was in college to become a teacher, uh, but it became you know, pretty clear this is where I wanted to go. So I, I, uh, I set out to figure that out. I ended up teaching for 10 years or so in New York City, in Brooklyn, Brooklyn schools, uh, because then you have the summers off and I, I could go to camp. And so I, I lived that life. You know? um, and so I did that for a long time and then eventually had a chance to transition into a nonprofit uh, year-round position as executive director. Um, yeah, that was with Trail Business. That's about 15 years ago. Um, phenomenal time. You know, great organization. Uh, built that out from a, a really tiny $400,000 youth or camp, only camp really, to a uh, $5 million uh, multi-service organization, youth development organization. Um, really, you know, fantastic work. Enjoyed it a lot. And then last year, or only seven months ago, um, but who's counting, mm-hmm. I had a chance to move to Frost Valley and take on the CEO position there. Um, you know, and, and, and Frost Valley kind of really speaks my language around access to camp and around the value of camp. And so, um, you know, I feel extremely fortunate that I've landed there, but it also feels like an extremely good fit. It is really my my kind of program. So that's where I'm now, and uh, and that's where I plan to be for quite some time. Awesome. So uh, you wrote an article about a month or so ago about the rising t- cost of of childcare, both in in schools and well as you know after school programming. Can you just give us a quick recap on that? Yeah, so and, you know, and what I meant to mention was so in my in my work as uh, the executive director of Trailblazers, I, I've kind of introduced to that world. Um, you know, we we over time we always had a, a kind of a tier schedule that we evolved over time to really make sure that the programs were accessible. Uh, and then we moved into both day camp and after school, and especially the after school space is really fraught. Right, it is it is very difficult to run high quality care that is also truly accessible. Uh, and so we learned over time that that's actually a, a, a very known, well-known, dirty little secret about uh, how we think about childcare here, right? That on one hand, we say, oh, childcare is really important, right? And parents have to be able to work. You know, we went through a, a pandemic where we realized, well, if, if parents have no care, then they can't work. And so we need to think through that. And, and all that happened, but the reality is we are still not serious about this problem because the reality is that 
you know, scores and scores of children simply do not have access. They don't have access either because it is too expensive, right? And, mm -hmm. and when I talk about access, I talk about after school and camp and sleepaway camp and day camp, really all, all of those uh, all of those pieces. They either don't have access because it is simply too expensive or they don't have access because there are no spots, right? Uh, I think, I, I can't remember what the stat is now, but it's something along the lines of, you know, the federal after-school programs for every child in a program 10 are waiting to get in, right? So there's a significant shortage. Um, and, and what we see, I think, in my view, when, when we talk about these things and, you know, in, you know, in local politics and in federal politics, is that we, we talk about them as good ideas, but we never really put the commitment behind it. Right? So the funding always falls short, even when there is funding. Right? My favorite one, and I mentioned this in the article to complain about it, is uh, the 21st Century Learning mm -hmm. grant, right? Which, on one hand, phenomenal, right? Significant uh, funds that are put towards after-school funding. But the reality is the price per kid is significantly underfunded. And the program itself knows that. In fact, you know, talks about that, right? There's a need for the nonprofit to supplement the funding. And, and that to me is insanity, right? That I don't think that fits through the same doorpost that we say we care about after school and about childcare and we will help you pay 50% and nonprofits, you can figure out the rest, right? Um, you know, and that's, I think that's a kind of the gist of it, right? That these things are necessary in my view, we recognize that that is necessary until 3 p.m. You know, and after mm -hmm. that, um, we don't care that much anymore. And then, you know, we look at expenditure per child in a school up until three o'clock versus what we feel is reasonable. Uh, we should spend on three to six. Uh, and I'm thinking, well, we really, you know, are not having an honest conversation about what the value of those three hours is. And what the long-term return of that could be, and we're really kind of you know shortchanging families and shortchanging youth, um, you know, in the moment, and, and you know, and that's that's a you know, big picture. Let's start there. <laughs> well, and also too, you know, 21st century. Um, while it's great on the funding side, it's still a lot of work for the teachers and those who have to put on those programs. Uh, you know, it's not just you know we're doing after school and we're all of a sudden okay, we have money, we can put these kids on, but the the teachers who are with these kids all day long. And um, what I've heard from many teachers now is that with where the trends are with kids is that it's harder in the classroom now. And so three o'clock sure. hits and they're yeah. already exhausted. And those teachers or those, you know, school mm -hmm. professionals who have to put on this now 21st century learning program or after school programming now have to do it again. <laughs> you know, they still have sure, a few more sure. hours. So yeah. it, it's, it's yeah to have that effective programming i know you talk a lot about funding too but just to have effective programming you know the the national after school committee is really trying to make standards similar to like aca which i know we're all very familiar with um and and they're actually utilizing aca too to to help with that so um i can only hope that it it improves for for after school but it's still definitely a lot of work yeah, well, I mean, now you are awakening the teacher in me, um, you know, because when, when so setting aside the whole funding and access thing for a moment, there's also obviously a big philosophical piece about what after school should be, right, and what young people need, and and so certainly, you know, New York City and have been very critical of this. We tend to think of extra time as additional time to teach, right? So we call it out of school time and more tutoring. And I've had experiences with principals where uh, of schools where we would provide after school who would approach us and we, we would have very play-based, essentially camp 
style after school programs, right? So one, we would be asked to sing a little less loudly in the hallway. It's like, well, we can't do that because we're a camp, right? And so <laughs> our after school campers, we call them campers. Um, but I'd also get requests uh, to do tutoring programs after us. We have this great digital tutoring program. Can your kids just spend an hour on this program? And we would say no, um, you know, and 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 not because it's a bad program, because but because that is not in line with our philosophy about what should happen in these next two hours. And in these next two hours, especially for young kids, it should be socializing. It should be, you know, it should be playing. It should be challenged. It should really be all the things that CAMS do particularly well. Um, and uh, and so when I hear standards for after school, I mean, I'm all I'm all for high quality. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and attaching some standards to it. But my concern is always that if you leave, leave it to traditional educators, it's going to be traditional education. And, our, and in my view, our kids don't need more of that. They actually need less of that. Yeah, I agree there. Um, there is a Michael Moore documentary. I forget which country he follows, but he talks to their teachers and. Um, the way that they put schooling in place is they only go for a few hours on each day. So that way the children can enjoy being children and gain, you know, that physicality where all of that extracurricular social bonding, playing eventually makes them smarter. It helps them problem solve, grow more interpersonal um, skills and things like that. Um, so I, I agree with you right there, Isle. Yeah. Yeah, you know, one of my, my favorite examples that I that I give all the time, and um, I don't know if this is anecdotal, but I do believe that conceptually this holds up, um, is that, you know, a close friend of ours um, homeschools their kid, right? And then the conversation about their, their high school or getting homeschooled, you know, they live in a farm. So there's all kinds of things that's not replicable in any way, right? So I'm not suggesting that. You know, so they... They homeschool their 13-year-old, right? And we're talking about the math curriculum because one of my kind of personal fears is I couldn't homeschool my kids because I'm terrible at math, right? And, and that would really not end well. And so she's talking about working with her child, the 13-year-old at math, and I asked her, so how long does it take you? How much time? And her answer was two hours per week to keep up with the school schedule, right? And it just kind of emphasizes this notion that one, obviously there's lots of other great things that happen in the school setting, but there's also a lot of spinning of wheels, right? Mm -hmm. And kind of, you know, compliance time, right? That, that, that really is not learning time in any not traditional academic learning time, but also not social emotional learning time. It just kind of, you know, being there. And so that get, gets me to all kinds of other big ideas on what education in my view should look like, but honestly, none of it works if we, if we don't have a you know, basic understanding or agreement as to what's important, right? And where we should spend our money. Absolutely. So how are you starting to see this, this rise in childcare costs and, and not also having all this funding? How is this starting to affect camps? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think it probably varies widely, right? By, by camp. Um, but, I think the reality already is that many camps are for, for the very few um, and, um, you know, plain and simple, right? And every camp has to decide for themselves what their comfort level is and what, how they, what kind of a player they view themselves to be, right? And what responsibility do they view they have? Um, but, uh, but that to me is the challenge, right? And every geographical area is a little different, right? What the needs are, what the opportunities are. But my hope would be is that camps take a honest look at that and, and look around, you know, a question that I'm really trying to infuse in, in our team at, at Frost Valley is simple question. It, at anything we do, who are we not reaching? Who are we not including, right? Because 
just asking that question out loud, just make sure that you're going to have conversations about that and, and you quickly land at perhaps different answers. And the reality is that every program inevitably excludes somebody, mm -hmm. uh, but hopefully that is done thoughtfully, right? And so not, oh, oops, we didn't think of you, right? Uh, we, we had no idea we were excluding you. So what I hope is, um, and I certainly see happen at plenty of camps, is that, that we have those conversations. Who, cannot, who can no longer get here? Who long, no longer has the opportunity to be here? Right? And how do we begin to solve that problem? Um, and, uh, and every camp is going to have to decide how hard they want to step into that conversation. Yeah, um, I know for my camp, we are raising prices almost 50% this summer. Wow. I think that we're approaching this point where parents are not going to be able to pay for the experience that my camp offers because they're being priced out. Yeah. So thinking about that, do you think that we'll get to a point in the near future where the rising cost of prices will be too high for parents to pay and they will simply just opt out of these after school or um, non-school activities? You know, I think we're already there, right? Um, uh, because, and, and uh, obviously, you know, summer's long, right? Uh, so you know, just focusing on summer for a moment, 10 weeks of summer, you, know, you may be able to afford to send your kids to a few weeks of camp, but can you do it for 10 weeks, right? What about if you have multiple kids? So I think we're very much already there where your know, parents have just very limited choices um, to, you know, to get their kids, um, you know, some, something, you know, some productive uh, activity for an entire summer, right? Or for every afternoon. For camps, I think the limits to what can be done, right? One of my old mentors um, always used to say either, you know, either raise the bridge or lower the water, um, you know, and raising the bridge means, you know, uh, charging more, right? Raising your rates, raising more money, looking for creative partnerships. Um, and, uh, but again, I don't think there are, you know, very simple, simple solutions to that. The question again is, is a camp willing to try, right? Is that, is, is that a priority to figure out what access might look like? Um, and then and the, uh, on, the, on the kind of access and cost sides, you know, uh, lowering the bridge, actually increasing access, you know, that's a lot harder. I think most camps have some form of scholarships, but, but sometimes that really addresses only a very small number of kids, right? And again, I, I understand that the challenge is here. The way I think through this, and I'm actually writing this up right now, uh, just, uh, uh, just to post in the next couple of days, I'm using a, uh, um, a construction metaphor. If you ever had to build something or have to renovate something in your house, it's like, the, the, uh, the contractor trifecta, right? You hire a contractor, is he gonna be done on time is he going to provide high quality work and is it going to be affordable? Well, you can only have two, right? In a contract, you can only have two. It can be affordable and on time, but then maybe it's not going to be as high quality, et cetera, right? And so that's the kind of running joke, right? You know, you can never get all three. And for camp, I think through that this way, you have kind of three competing legs, affordability and access, also high quality and camp sustainability. Now, in this case, I'm not suggesting you can only have two. I do think you can have all three, but it begins with realizing that those three really act on each other quite aggressively. And, and you start with, as a camp, starting to think through or have conversations about where the boundaries and flexibility within each one of those uh, lays, right? And, and that will require sacrifices. That will require camps to say, you know, we are willing to, uh, you know, just to, you know, maybe we're willing to forego this one building that we're building this year because we really want to, you know, provide access. Uh, again, I don't think they're easy conversations, 
but there's a reason. And by the way, I I, I renamed the, um, the 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 blog on LinkedIn uh, Rocket Surgery. You know, this is a, this is a, a line that we always use with one of my teams. This is not rocket science. This is not brain surgery. And so one of my team members always thought to refer to it as rocket surgery. <laughs> and, and and the idea is this, right? Simple answers to very complex problems. And so it is not easily solved. But the simple beginnings are we need to start thinking through these things and start to really have honest conversations about what we are willing to give up, you know, as a camp, as a camp community. Um, and then, you know, small steps to actually push towards that. And that framework of affordability, high quality and sustainability, I find kind of a helpful framework to think through that because I might push in one and might pull the other and, and, and so forth. That's awesome. Yeah, I know we this year made the choice to not build anything. That was that was a hard, you know, we're not. Yeah, we're not we're not adding anything big. We're actually putting our kids in the woods more and trying to more go the outdoor ed, you know, the outdoor education component, because that I mean, we have it all there, right? Like we don't have to pay for anything to do that. So like I made the choice to when I wrote the budget this year to just say, look, we're not building anything this year. We're not going to buy new programs. We're not going to buy all this this stuff, you know, because we have the woods, like, let's just build upon that. And so, yeah, yeah, it is, it's a hard conversation to have. Um, Fortunately, my team is myself and my CEO. I mean, I'm, I'm it, my camp's a lot smaller than, than your team. Uh, And I know Shauna, you're, you're part of a bigger organization as well. So, I mean, it is, it's a hard conversation and, and it's hard to accept that too, as a, as a camp director, to say, okay, we're not adding anything new this year, but how can we still pull in new new campers, new families, new things and make camp still as exciting as it was the year before? Uh, but you yeah. have to do that to think of your your cost. And, you know, we're we're raising costs 5% this year. We're not going as, as big as you are, Shauna. Uh, but I mean, we had to, it was, we had the conversation of three or 5%, but with the way inflation's going, we had to go five. I mean, sure. that's just the the way it goes, but cost per camper is so high nowadays, you know, you're, right. it is so right. high. And in order to make anything, even for us nonprofit camps, I think you're nonprofit too, Shauna, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, so we're, we're all nonprofit here. And so to, to make anything to just kind of keep us going is incredibly difficult without pricing out our, our families. Yeah, Kelly, yeah. we did the yeah. same thing this year. We um, looked at our hard costs and included my salary in that because my salary comes out of a different budget because uh, I do work for a large organization. And it turned out that when you incorporate my salary, camp only makes like $47. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, a couple of yeah, donuts. So we, yeah, yeah, literally, not even yeah. you can't even get a dozen for your entire staff for that. Um, yeah, look, there's a reason why you know when when there was a the last financial crash in 2018, right? Where so many camps went out of business. Mm-hmm. You know, they're you know the the margins are thin, and uh, and and that's sometimes hard to imagine, right? For parents to look at pricing, and go, wow, this is a lot of money for 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 two weeks of camp. Uh, and sure, but the margins are still pretty thin once you uh, calculate the whole thing in. Um, and um, yeah, cam directors understand that uh, mm-hmm. it's sometimes not easy to understand for parents, and I, and I get why for sure. Yeah. So, so you're in a unique position as a CEO that you know Sean and I are are not. Um, but so, is there anything that you are? And I know you're still young in your CEO career with with Frost Valley. 
But is there anything you're looking to implement either this sure. year or in the future um, to help with the costs of, of the organization and camp? Yeah, a couple of things that come to mind, just kind of more generally about about um, you know about access, right? Um, s- semi-related. Uh, there, there's a lot going on about um, uh, all the work from home policies, right? That come out of COVID. Um, I, I I really uh, I'm in the camp that says this is here to stay. Don't don't even try, right? This needs to be kind of figured out properly. But you know, for to 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 the you know CEOs and and directors out there who are calling all the teams back, I, I don't think that's the answer necessarily. Um, and um, but what I've really appreciated seeing, and certainly at a personal level as well, is that it just acknowledges kids, you know, as part of the kind of daily life and doesn't separate those two necessarily in different camps. Right? And I've really appreciate that. And I know many parents have expressed the same thing, um, that it's not, you know, either or, and you have some more flexibility. So all of a sudden, you might not need five days of care, right? You may be able to do three days of care, right? And that, and so that really helps. And so um, giving, so one is figuring out cre- kind of creative ways to allow that. And and I come, you know, I'm in an organization that is also really kind of trying to figure out who can work remotely, right? We realize the housekeepers can't work remotely because the buildings need to be turned over, right? So there's, there's uh, inherent conflict in that, but that's one, right? To really think through how can we really accommodate our workers uh, to, to, to maximum extent so they can integrate other parts of their life more, you know, fluidly and more naturally. And so I'm, uh, um, you know, I'm excited to see that develop further. And I, you know, um, you are reaching me in my home in Brooklyn, right? I'm not at camp right now because I, you know, I also have that kind of flexibility. And so um, I hope that camps too think through how they can do that. You know, unfortunately, on the, on the flip side, I, what has really been disheartening to see is that schools kind of swung back to their regular model, right? I think we we kind of forgot that outdoor, being outdoors uh, and, and outdoor learning was a really great idea during COVID. And I hope that some of those things would stick better. And they haven't, um, I think, not enough. Um, and then that's a, that's unfortunate. But, um, but that does mean, I think, that camps have an opportunity to continue to promote outdoor learning and not necessarily outdoor education, right? But being outdoors while you learn, that's not necessarily just outdoor education as a, um, as a really great idea that we should continue to promote. And, and to that point, right? And this is the shift. You asked me, what am I looking to do at, at, at Frost Valley? The shift for me is, it's not drastic necessarily, but I would encourage camps to embrace their role as educational spaces more, right? Um, we're educational spaces. We we teach young people to be better better people, better citizens, right? Better workers, um, and uh, and so positioning ourselves like that matters, I think. And talking about ourselves in those terms that we are teachers, we are social workers. You know, this is what happens during this time at camp. Um, I'm convinced that we can produce outcomes in much shorter amount of time than many other modalities can, right? Um, and uh, and so. You know, and, and I think some camps embrace that role more than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so that's certainly where I want to go. That's a tricky balance, right? Not every parent is interested in that, right? Some parents like, you know, just want my kids to have a good time. And our answer is they are going to have a great mm-hmm. time and the other stuff. It's not or, right? It's and. So that's what I'm, I'm certainly hoping for for Frost Valley, but for the camp industry in large to continue to uh, embrace that position and then engage with our communities and with the local officials in those kinds of conversations. So what are other educational opportunities 
and and not conflate this idea that camp is just recreational, right? And and by the way, obviously we know <laughs> that some of the best recreational programs is where kids learn most, right? And so, you know, for us to really be more proactive and and drum that that or uh, you know a bit of a louder drumbeat around what camps can do as as educational spaces that help our young people uh, grow and learn. I do wonder sometimes uh, because camps are kind of synonymous with like the upper echelons of our culture because of the pricing, our access to people who are you know lower income, there is like kind of that mentality that camp isn't for them. So how do we work to reach those individuals who believe that camp is more for wealthy people and not so much for everyday folks that are, you know, looking for a childcare experience that isn't daycare, things like that, just to, to promote ourselves as we are for every child. We're, we're not just for the elite. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of complex issues, right. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's um, certainly, you know, not easy to shift the kind of perception of what camps are and, um, and, and kind of, you know, making inroads in, uh, different groups and different cultures for whom camp might not be as as natural, um, but in a nutshell, you know, um, I think that's what our partnership programs are for, just to introduce so externally, right, to just to really bring a diverse group of of people from different backgrounds to camp, and yeah, for some that means um, you know again access underwritten, for some those are paid partnerships. It's really you know a, a, a diversity of people that we try to bring to the table. But the flip side of that, that I'll add, and I think this is something that camps struggle with from time to time as well, is that then that also means you have to take a hard look at camp culture and whether camp culture is ready to introduce different you know, ideas and cultures into the setting, right? And that can be hard, you know? And to put it bluntly, right? A program like Frost Valley, you know, certainly has been probably fairly narrow, right? Fairly kind of white dominant culture, over the last, you know, over its, where are we, 130 plus years, um, and um, and has, I think, done a lot of great work to begin to shift that. Mm -hmm. And some of the, again, some of that is real external effort and dedication to do that, but then also the internal work to think through how do we build um, an internal culture that that uh, that means you're ready, right? You're ready for uh, for you know for people whose life experience has been different. You know, it's really interesting because I view Frost Valley as not necessarily ahead of a lot of those partnerships and integrating others, but in comparison to where I am in North Alabama, I would love to be where Frost Valley's at. Yeah. My culture down here, as much as I personally am ready, the culture isn't and my families aren't. And so yeah. it's it's really, you know, taking, you know, I, I look at like your partnerships program and being able to bring in and partner with, you know, Newark Boys and Girls Club. And for those who don't know Newark, it's predominantly lower, you know, lower middle class, you know, families and Boys and Girls Club, as many know, are is very subsidized programming. And so by bringing that in, by bringing in the um, the Tokyo partnership, which is huge, right. you know, yeah. those those are really awesome partnerships that Frost Valley does have where, you know, it's a way to bring in other cultures and other backgrounds and other, you know, the everyday person that, you know, not everybody gets to experience camp. Uh, whereas here, we got to bring in international staff for the first time a yeah. couple of years ago. Like oh, for really? us, that Fantastic. was huge. 
you know, but yeah. that, that's huge for us, you know, for, for sure. being a, a camp in Alabama, that's definitely primarily white. Um, and we had our most diverse staff last year, you know, that's so awesome. it's, you know, that is that for us, those are really big steps where I know you talk about, you know, looking at your culture and to hear you talk about Frost Valley is not fully where you want it to be yet, you know, integrated and everything. Whereas I look at you guys like, wow, you're doing great things compared to where I can be, but it's just where everybody's at in the different, you know, parts of the United States and different areas and where your camp culture is too. Well, I think that's, that's exactly right. Because you don't have to be us and vice versa. Right. And what, what diversity and access and, and, and looks like, and, you know, we're kind of, this moves inevitably, as it should, moves into an inclusion uh, and DEI conversation. Uh, but what that looks like is different everywhere, right? And what I what I appreciate, uh, one of the things I appreciate most about Frost Valley after my my couple of months there, that that the the efforts to to build a a really diverse community is not just about race, right? To, yep. to have a you mentioned Tokyo, we have a kidney program, right? That brings in people with with specific medical needs. One of my favorite ones, we have a, uh, it's called the MAC Mainstream at Camp uh, Special Education Program, right? Integrated in camp in a way that most most camps wouldn't mm-hmm. dare do. Um, and and so there's some, so diversity is a very broad concept, I think, that sometimes we forget that in the middle of all, you know, for good reasons, right? It's been focused more on, on racial equity. Uh, and I think that makes, that makes all the sense of the world. And diversity, there's all these other groups as well. And, and so, you know, wherever you are right in Alabama what that diversity push or opportunity might look like is just different and um, um you know and you don't you don't certainly have to replicate what we do or vice versa yeah no I love the Mac program I think ever since because I so for listeners who don't know I was a camper at Frost Valley it's why I know a lot about you know what what they do but the Mac program is huge even for the campers not just for the Mac campers Mac being mainstreaming at camp but it's also important for your general population and just being able to be integrated. Huge. It's huge. I think that's honestly the first time that I was around people who had different abilities than I did. And it was really the first time that I saw people like that and integrated with people like that. And it's changed like the whole scope of how yeah. I, I view people yeah. with disabilities. And I think it's just an, it's such an important program that you know Frost Valley has, but it's again, like you said, something that not a lot of camps can, can do. Yeah. Yeah. And look, and, you know, are you willing to try, right? Mm -hmm. Is there an opportunity? Are you willing to try? Um, And um, because ultimately this, this happened because somebody was willing to try. Right. Uh, And so that, by the way, that Mac program was also a partnership with with an organization in New York. Um, And, you know, I've only been here for a few months, but I imagine it wasn't always smooth, right? Just yeah. to do that. Uh, but but I, I just had a, a number of experiences this summer of seeing, you know, Mac kids in, in the general population mm-hmm. during experiences. And you are absolutely right. This, this idea of just normalizing, right? I mean, even when we talk about other forms of diversity, just normalizing that, you know, this is this is all, all, all the same. This is all regular and we can all live in the same space together. Um, yeah, the the uh, uh, the Mac kids really, you know, are pretty amazing to see, and uh, what they do for the general population is really beautiful. Yeah, uh, we know that a traditional work day is nine to five or eight to four, ten to six, maybe even nine to six. How do you envision changing the traditional work schedule to align it better with childcare options? 
um, so that they are like on an easier schedule that aligns with the parents or the caregiver and in lower costs. Like, do you see a future where the United States can get there? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, right? This whole work from home idea, I think, kind of drives at that point, right? Uh, and and so lots of it then goes down to, but back to the, the values that we have as a as a society and how we, uh, you know, accommodate or or create a society where those values can be lived out properly. And then so the difficulty, of course, is that not everything in society can work that way, right? Not everybody can be work from home. Not everybody can have flexibility. Yeah, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. I think sometimes, you know, that's one of those things. Well, if, if not everybody can do it, nobody should. Well, I don't I don't think that's necessarily true, right? The fact that there are certain jobs inherently in person doesn't mean that other jobs couldn't, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't think through what equity can look like in different ways for the people who don't have access to that, right? So if if nothing, the fact that some of us are in positions where we can be more flexible and therefore we ultimately are less resource heavy, right, on providing care, then that care can be shifted to people who need it more because because they don't have that kind of flexibility, right? And, uh, you know, obviously that that's probably a very progressive view, um, but, but all the things I kind of think and write about, about those ideas that we cannot say we, t- we care about kids and we care about after school and then not structurally you know, design it to actually take care of it. So go back to, you know, what should we be doing? We should be beating this drumbeat all the time. You know, that, that, the, that there are lots of things that local municipalities and, you know, and, and state entities can do to lower the bar. I'll, I'll give you another one and I'll get off my, my soapbox. Um, you know, uh, organizations in New York State and New York City the regulations for after-school programs are so burdensome. The background checks are so burdensome, mm-hmm. and it is very cost, you know, um, uh, very costly. Um, it, it takes forever, right, to get uh, to get a program approved. And meanwhile, you have to pay your staff, right? There's so many things that could be improved um, that we, you know, and and again, that's where I go back to. There are some simple answers to complex problems. They're not, it's not all simple, but there are some simple answers. And it often feels we don't also you know, really don't want to, you know, want to uh, even start there, um, you know. And so, you know, I'm a camp person. Ultimately, school programs still camp for me. Weekend programs still camp for me. I'm I'm just kind of a you know. Uh, big picture camp person, and what I say to my team all the time: camp is the answer to all to a lot of these things that we see. The mental health issues, uh, some of the you know educational issues. Camp really has some phenomenal answers to that, and I hope that camps at large, and I know the ACA to some extent does that, really leans in on our role as as educators. This has been a really, really awesome conversation. Rael, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? camps figure out how to get as many people from different walks of life to your camp it is worthwhile right camp should be for all you know no i'm now parenting the why tagline right <laughs> the camp is for all i truly believe that and i you know i would always encourage uh camps to take a, a harder look at how to make that work um and it, it's going to be worth it you know the the, the, the the for for everybody's experience so this is super fun thank you so much for inviting me yeah, awesome. Thanks for coming. So if people want to follow up with you or have questions, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? 
Yeah, CEO at frostvalley.org. Would always love to hear from people. I'm on LinkedIn as well. You can find me there. I'm, uh, I'm about to finish up uh, another another rant on uh, you know, this time on on how to financially structure your organization. <laughs> Spoke about that a little bit today. So you know, follow me there if you want to. Uh, and again, you know, email or call because I always love to hear from people or or, or talk to folks in uh, in our world. Um, thank you so much. And to our listeners, uh, we will see, or you will hear us again soon. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks.